going on, y'all? Welcome to episode 27 of the Half Price Concessions Podcast. Before we get to anything serious, we want to say thank you to everybody and anybody who's tuning into this podcast, whether you're listening on a podcast app, if you're listening on our website, or if you're listening on our YouTube page, we sincerely appreciate you being here. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, do us a quick favor. Leave us a five-star rating and review if you can. If you're listening on YouTube, hit the like button and the subscribe button so that you'll see when we put out new episodes. Today's episode dives into the most basic of questions for us race fans. Who's your favorite driver? Buddy Payne, myself, and Randy Payne Sr. go around the horn talking about different drivers we've been fans of over the course of our lives. Whether at the local, regional, or national level, drivers find their way into our hearts as fans for plenty of reasons. This discussion is our attempt to flush that out, and we'll share a few laughs along the way. So sit back and enjoy. Episode 27 of the Half Price Concessions podcast begins in here in just a few moments. This episode of the Half Price Concessions podcast is brought to you with support from Performance Center Racing Warehouse. In addition to being the home of the PRW chassis, Performance Center offers in-house setups and consulting, plus suspension and chassis pull-down analysis, along with their fabrication shop that can reclip your race car with the fastest turnaround in the industry. Give Roger Johnson and the Performance Center team the chance to earn your racing business by calling them today at 704-838-1400 or visit them online at performancecenter.com. That's P-E-R-F-O-R-M-A-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. We're going to three-man weave on the Half Price Concessions podcast. Four if you count the dog that is with us as always. We got myself, Tyler Williams. We got Buddy Payne back with us. And the third voice in the room who you heard on episode two of the podcast, Mr. Randy Payne Sr., we'll probably just refer to him as Pops. Won't divulge how old he is. He's just old enough. <laughs> but, gentlemen, good to good to have you once again. Had the idea for this one, bud. I think you actually chimed in on the idea for this one about favorite drivers because it's it's funny, I think, at different stages in life how – what's what why someone is your favorite changes i remember sometimes it was like well someone was my favorite because i like their their race car looked pretty <laughs> it's kind of funny how it evolves over time yeah it's it, looking back at some of the guys that pull for us like there's no way i'd pull for them now and then vice versa you know back then i wouldn't pull for some of the guys i pull for this day and as you get older and your own personality changes you know that's going to mesh with you know some of the guys that are out there turning the wheel and you just kind of you know have that connection on that level and pops i know you you've kind of seen it come full circle because i'm sure when you was a kid you go through that stage where everybody you pull for is older than you then you grow up a little bit now at your age i'm sure about everybody you're pulling for is young enough to be your son or <laughs> daughter whatever gender they are they, they definitely could be yeah back in those days it was the older fellas out there running and it didn't take long to pick pick some favorites so we'll kind of go around the horn a little bit the idea of it is kind of just to lay out what made you favorites and you welcome to you chime in as, as you see fit, just kind of guys through the years and we'll start on kind of a local level and to kind of set the table for what we're talking about. I remember when I was a kid going to a speedway early nineties, the first driver that I kind of fell in love with and became a fan of was Robert Turner. 
Robert Turner's a late model driver at Ace Speedway. It's an asphalt track. And Robert actually had drove Ace when it was dirt, changed over when it became asphalt. And the first reason I liked him was the old childhood reason I liked the way his race car looked. He had the Rusty Wallace paint scheme. I was a Rusty Wallace fan. So I immediately gravitated to that. Then it became, well, he's from Burlington. I'm from Burlington. I'm not from Altamaha or Reasonable. I'm, you know, we had that in common. At the time, we had the size thing in common because I was a short little kid and he was a short little man. So he wasn't a big fellow. But he was underdog. He, he spoke in a soft tone when he got interviewed. So that immediately kind of made him, I kind of felt like he was an underdog. And, you know, it was just one of those things. He was never just the out loud. Some people, I think, are drawn to those loud mouth, let it fly, you know, let them blast on the microphone, guys. I think that's part of what I liked about Robert was because I was kind of a quiet kid, you know, until I got to 17 and something went wrong. But it's funny how you gravitate to that kind of stuff. And even now, I told him, I told him uh, one time a couple of years ago about, uh, you know, man, Robert, you know, I used to look up to you. Uh, yeah, I looked up to you, and he said, you ain't looked up to me in a while, son, <laughs> after you passed 5'9". But that was kind of my first guy that I uh, became a fan of and, and kind of just stayed a fan of the whole time. It got so bad one night at Ace, uh, somebody dumped him. I think he was running for second or third. Somebody dumped him, and I got so upset. I went and left my seat with my grandpa and went and <laughs> sat at the picnic tables behind the grandstands at Ace. I was that emotionally attached and upset so you know it's it's funny how you grab on to people like that yeah uh growing up the main tracks that we would hit i'd say on a more regular basis was ace 311 and piedmont drag strip Uh, you know we'd sprinkle in a few caraway you know friendship places like that but those are the main three that we would go to and with ace I never really had a favorite late model driver. It was a very competitive class then. I, I just I didn't have just that one guy. You know, if uh, if this guy or this guy or this guy won, you know, I was I was happy with it. But for Ace specifically, my thing I really jumped on with the modifieds because you had the Cook Scott King great rivalries and it was great racing every week and you never really there wasn't a clear favorite and it was it was always good and and sometimes it got a little too rough bumping and banging and stuff but uh we kind of had ties with the king family through church and you know dad and all and i became a brian king fan uh because it wasn't like now where you can literally put him starting dead last and he's leading in five laps back then and he was obviously much younger then uh but just watching him drive watching the great rivalry he wasn't like so arrogant, but he would still, you know, he, he'd take his shots every now and again on the uh, microphone and whatnot. Uh, but he was a fun driver to watch, and and it was it wasn't a guarantee he was going to win, and of course it wasn't a backgrounder either. So that that always played a part in. Obviously, as a kid, you don't want to pull somebody that's doesn't have a shot at winning. Um, so when it comes to Ace, I'd say probably that that was my guy back then was Brian. All right, pops. Now we'll swing over to you. I think. It's safe to say you're going to go a little further back than we. Yeah, so. well, since I'm 40 years older than either one of you. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I didn't, you know, uh, Daddy was dead, and, and my neighbor came over and saw me out in the yard playing. I was real small, and it was after Daddy died, and he uh, he said, why ain't you in the house listening to the race? I said, what are you talking about? 
and he said he said the Southern 500, the Darlington race is on, and he said you need to go in there. So them Chevrolets is wearing them out, wearing them out. And old Herb Thomas, and uh, and uh, Junior Johnson, and all Buddy Baker, and all them way back then, and Richard Petty. Yeah. Uh, and and I got hooked. I said I and I, I went to his house and I said, when's the next race on? So uh, and I got picked up on it, and then. I had uncles that carried me to the dirt tracks at, at Rainbow Speedway and A Speedway and, and 311 and stuff. It didn't take long to pick up on Red Justice. Yeah, that's just, a character right there. Just for the show <laughs> he put on and Benny Davis. And I later on had a 64 Chevy 2. So back then the limited sportsman was a bunch of Chevy 2s. And, and Johnny Handy and Jimmy Johnson was my favorite. He uh, at Madison. He pushed. He pushed the V8s down the straightaways. That thing would really go, and the sound it made just. I got hooked on that. You got. You became a fan just on how good he was and the sound his car. Well, made. and and he was driving a car like mine. Okay. I had one out in the parking lot. Was basically the same design. It was a '64 Chevy two, two door post, just like he was racing. But uh, man, he put on some shows, and he would actually be leading. And back off at the at the end of it, and let the V8 car pass him. Pete Stewart in the number two fifty five Chevrolet. He would let him pass him because he didn't want to get protested. Because I went down in the pits after I'd learned and and getting a little bit older, and I'd learned about it. And I went down. I said, "How in the world are you doing that with them V8s?" And he said, "Well, you see, my hood says two hundred and thirty cubic inches." He said, if you know anything about six cylinders, look over my right front tire and keep your mouth shut. He was running a 292 truck engine punched to 302 cubic inches. Oh, so he was a little decept he had the deception going on. He, he would he would play with them and later years I went to see Donald Tucker and he's he called Donald had a way of putting expletives in things that he said he said they did an open practice. And he's in a 64, 65 Chevelle 427 in it. And he said, that little sucker would come up and push me all the way down the back stretch with a 236 of them. That's something. See, he said he was yeah. crazy, but See, he put on a show. There's another thing that kind of adds a wrinkle in when you fall in love with guys' style. Like, if I look back now, I remember going to Ace. Obviously, I was, I was Robert Turner fan with my grandpa liked Barry Beggarly because I think he liked – he liked his style, and he liked the kind of the way he did things. And I don't ever remember actively pulling for Barry, but I think even in those 90s, I could just recognize the greatness that he had and the talent that he had. And I didn't have like a I – didn't, I, didn't, I didn't go out and buy his T-shirt, but I always remember like, you know, if Robert wasn't going to win, I'd like to see Barry win just because of the way he handled himself on the track. And it's funny because you talk to other people – and they, they said they like Earnhardt fans just because he would knock people out of the way. It wasn't nothing about the rest of his style. It was just some people was attracted to that. And, and we, yeah. some of us were related to people that like this. <laughs> I mean, it's funny how, like you said, sometimes the style comes in and that affects you as well. well and they're I, probably not thinking about it. They're just trying to get to the front. That's right. It, it was like, you know, like in MMA, like the big thing is style makes fights. So, and it's kind of like that in racing too. Like MMA, you got, you know, your wrestlers, your boxers, your Muay Thai, all that stuff. And then racing, you got 
you know, the guys that are just wide open from the drop of the green trying to win on the first lap and they'll knock you out of the way. And you got this slow, methodical, wait and let the race come to them kind of stuff. And, you know, one's going to be probably more exciting than the other, but it's all about the end result. And as a kid, like, I really adapted to that on the dirt side of things. A couple of drivers, like Jeff Smith, I loved Jeff Smith, and, and he was never one that was going to bang the cushion or put it on, on the top. But he was very smart. He's a very smart racer, and he's very good at saving equipment. And that's something that has transferred through the years of what I enjoy watching is these guys who are maybe they're on a smaller budget or they just don't like the confrontation or whatever. So they are smooth and, and whatnot. Um, the first real dirt racer I remember that drove like that was Terry Cardwell. And the 21, and uh, that was always fun because Dad's guy back then, they were kind of rivalries, and it was a friendly rivalry. They were kind of rivalries, so that kind of gave me and Dad, you know, I can pull for this guy, you pull for somebody different, uh, which is fun. You know, sometimes it's nice to pull for the same guy. You know, we were both, you know, big Earnhardt fans, but on the dirt stuff, we've always had different guys, and so that makes it, that, that plays a factor into it as well. Yeah, it's, it, and you, you are never going to see Jeff Smith get that riled up. He's a pretty – Calm, collective guy in his interviews too. You're not gonna have to worry about cover, you know, cover somebody's ears up. This guy's about to grab the microphone. Yeah, and and he was, and then like he was really one of the main guys to beat. I would, he was kind of that in between local and national guy. He never followed the national tour, but he'd hit some of the bigger races. I'll, I'll call him a good regional racer. He was a solid regional racer, you know, within a few states. And we saw him at uh, Thunder Valley Run. Uh, and Freddie was still running then. Uh, Booper Bear was still running then, and he was, you know, always real competitive. Uh, my favorite Jeff Smith story was at Fayetteville. It was a World Outlaw show, and you know, obviously he's got some home track advantage there, and he's running top five, top three the whole race. And on the white flag lap, he's running second, and Shane Clanton blows a tire coming off of four. And anybody else, I swear to it, anybody else would just piled right in the back of him. He just eased to the top. Past him coming to the line, crowds going nuts, and he won his first outlaw race. Yeah, Pops, who was someone whose style that you kind of liked when you would go and see races in person? Like just a style that you were just like, man, I bet if I, you know, I could see myself driving like that, or just one you identified with. I, <laughs> honey, there was so many back in the competition. Back, I got to see them when they were Chevelles and Monte Carlos and Mustangs, and they were actually a street car. And, and 55, 56, and 7 Chevrolets even. And and starting out way back then, I just watched the one, how they handle Like Bud said, some of them are cool and all. And, and one thing that I've always noticed to me, and I don't mean to be ugly about it, to me, a lot of them, the non-drivers, if they get the least bit out of shape, they slam on brakes. And that's it. The drivers drive the car out of the situation they're in, I've seen I've seen Ray Tucker uh, come off uh, the, to to the green flag at, at Ace and nail it a little bit too soon and do a complete 360, or or spin all the way around and never lose his spot. And when they come by again, he was leading. Where anybody else, as soon as that car got out of shape, would hit the brakes and the whole rest of the field would run over him and it had a big mess. But Ray. I, I've seen Ray Tucker drive a car out of a mess like Kyle Busch. We've seen him on the late later stuff on NASCAR when the other guys, they get way out of shape, they lock the brakes, bam, they're into the wall. Kyle 
wheels that thing, nails it, spins it out of it, and keeps right on getting it. And we've seen so many instances like that. I love when they put on a show and show you the driving skill they've got. And sometimes I think another thing that will make you even a fan of somebody, even on a small level, especially in racing, who can get that quip or that quick word in that interview that makes you laugh or just like makes you chuckle or makes you like hit your buddy next to you. And I always remember, um, it, you know, it, it, I'm probably passing up 10 million guys to get to one. But I always remember Jeremy Fritz told me a Jonathan Davenport story. This was years ago. Davenport was 18, 19 or something. They were running at Tacoa. I think it was a clash race. And he said that uh, I think he'd hit the wall or something. He had to go to the back. Well, he came back out there, and J.D. puts it on the top and rides around. And uh, for some reason, I think he ended up finishing second to Rambo or whoever. And he said uh, they interviewed the winner, and for some reason – they interviewed third place before they got to, to JD. And he said something about his car was really good and he was flying. And they asked Davenport, they said, uh, you know, such and such back there said his car was flying. And he said, Davenport said, yeah, I can tell he's flying when I drove right by. Him. <laughs> so, sometimes it's funny how it's, it's the ones that can entertain you in an interview. Cause not everybody's good in an interview. That's some, right. some people they interview and they sound like a, like a, like they, like they're on the back row at church and they want to talk too loud or the preacher's going to yell at them. Yeah. But I mean, if you could think of somebody who's interviewed, you already pointing at somebody about an interview. The best you will ever hear is the night you interviewed Charlie Payne, and he won, and he said, I don't thank my mom and daddy for having me. <laughs> That's definitely family tie or not. Well, you know, he went back to basics. But who can you think of? I don't think you can top that. No, no, right no, no. Well, for me, I hate the corporate guy. Like, you mm. put the microphone in there, and it's like it's scripted, tells you the same thing over and over again. And I know you got to hit the, the sponsors, obviously, but – you know, when the announcer says, man, that was a heck of a race, we got to say, and they go straight to the list and sponsor. So, like, I, I like the personality then. I like the arrogance, but not the cockiness. Like, I, like if you just drove your butt off to this win, then it's okay to say, man, I just did a good job. But you don't have to be a jerk about it, you know, or belittle your competition and whatnot. Um, as a kid, I remember, like, uh, especially these dirt tracks, you don't know who in the world. I mean, these guys can't hardly write, much less talk. And um, there was a guy that me and dad loved, John Stemper, and he had this great, <laughs> great just southern mountain man just twang to his voice, and he was hilarious on the microphone because he wasn't speaking in complete sentences, but he, he knew he got out there to the front. Uh, modern day, you know, there ain't nothing better than a Jimmy Owens interview. He always gives you some good just one-liners, that country boy one-liner stuff. Um, yeah, make, make me laugh, make me think, and, and you know, and, and I, that helps with your fandom, too, because, you know, God, people will pull for people just because they got a great personality. Oh, yeah. I think, I think uh, that's the only reason anybody in my family ever liked Ward Burton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they didn't identify with South Boston, Virginia, or Caterpillar, or anything like that, but they knew if Ward Burton ran top five in a cup race, he was going to have to get interviewed on TV, yeah. and you was going to hear that just slow, drawn out, wherever his accent came from. And, and that endeared him to you, yeah. you know. Absolutely. I mean, that was – And still does. Yeah. I about to say, Jimmy Owens, exactly. Because yeah. you know, you know, if Mike Reese is on the race car, <laughs> right. it's going to get drawn out. 
And just that quick hit. Because you know what? Honestly, I didn't go into pits at a lot of races when I was a kid. The only extension I got of the personality or who the person was was through an interview. So if they weren't up front, yep. you weren't going to get any of it. Right. You know? Like especially, I remember Ace was... I loved about Ace because they always interviewed top three where some of you tracks you go to, you only got the winner. So sometimes if the winner did something that someone else thought was nefarious to get to that front, you would get the comeback. And one name that we all three forgot that uh, I will say is the best interview in all of motorsports is Kenny Schrader. That man, yes. he he was the man on the cup side, but now he's doing the dirt stuff. And, uh, I will do my best to clean this up, but I was watching. They were running at Route 66, which is pretty much right across the road from Chicagoland. And he's running the dirt modified, and he won the race. And they, I mean, he gets out of the car, and he's, you know, 60-some years old. And so he's, you know, making the jokes about being old and out of breath and stuff. But they asked him about winning. And he said, well, heck, I ain't never won across the street, so it's nice to win on this side of the race. But he always had some good ones, man. I loved Kenny Schrader. I about to say, Pops, can you think of any quips you've heard in some of these interviews? I know you've heard a ton of them. You've probably forgotten more than we'll ever know. Well, I've, I've really heard some good ones. And I'll, uh, uh, one, one of my favorites that's always stood out to me when Jimmy Owens said that time when uh, uh, Rumley – there's um, Davenport was driving the six car in 15, and and Jimmy Owens first thing he said on Jimmy, did y'all see me pass that six car? <laughs> <laughs> That's so you know yeah I'm about to say because if you're not I I think if you're not down in there with them on a regular basis, you don't get you you know you don't get the full show you know we get a piece of them and they're all across the country and none of us we all got to you know work for a living so. We can't follow them, so we only can get them once or twice a year. And that's one thing I love about when we get to go to World Finals all together because you get the pit passes and we can go down and, and you get up close. And when you do get – when you catch them at the right time, like you said, Bud, and you can actually maybe get a sentence in with them. Like last year uh, – not last year, year before, when we went to go uh, get you that Rumley shirt and you got to talk to T-Mac, uh, Tim McCready. Yeah. And and you got three or four sentences in And he, he actually – he said, I ain't got no problem signing your Davenport shirt. And now <laughs> – and he, he said, tell you what, he said, I'd love to drive Kevin Rumley car one time, and now he is. Yeah. And that uh, – yeah, I had to add 39 to my 49 repertoire there. Of course, I like 150, a bunch of them, 157. I like Mahler. I got to talk to Mahler in Florida, and and I told him, I said, I said, boy, I've been pulling for that number six car since I was 16 to 17 years old. You get up on the wheel, I want to see you do something tonight. And he said, yes, sir, I'll do my best. And he started 19th and won the race, and it was first one me and Bud got to see. Bud had a little trouble controlling me that night. <laughs> I was so excited to get to see my black six one more time in winter circle and that was so much fun but my and it one thing that amazes me is you think they're they're uppity or something and and i've just stood there looking at the car and them come out of the trailer or something and come out and talk to you and you find out there are some super people oh yeah there are some super people uh, who did that it was a young man driving i think at tanner english whose car was he driving at that time, uh, he was with, was that Barry Wright he was with? At that? No, no, no. It was, it was uh, Weaver. Uh, Weaver. Randy Weaver. It was Randy Weaver. He, and, he, yeah. and he come out and told, I got to talk to him. And he said, that kid right there has got talent. And I just wanted to give him a chance. He said, he's a good Christian boy. And he said, he's already proven with the show he's put on, he can wheel. 
And it just and it just amazes me. I got to talk to uh, Chase Youngins, and I told him, I said, uh, I retired doing what your name says. And he looked at me real weird. And boy, he's, <laughs> he is a big boy. Yeah. And I was looking up at him. And he said, he said, sir, what do you mean? I said, chasing youngins. I was a school teacher for 30 years. And he busted. <laughs> he said, that's the best line I've ever heard using my name. So it, it just, I have so much fun. And I can't keep up with you young fellas. So I just meander around. And I see one and go over and talk to him. And sometimes get to talk to one of the crew members. Buddy was questioning why Davenport's left rear wheel opening was so large. And I asked, I, I said, is there a reason for that? Can you tell me is there a reason? He said, yeah, to make people like your son ask questions. The great thing with that style racing is the accessibility that you have. Like, I've been in the pits several times at NASCAR races, and, and I get it, they're professional, and you got millions of fans versus thousands of fans, and I get all that, but you're not going to have those kind of conversations with a NASCAR driver. So that's it makes it fun to where whatever the form of racing is where you can at least access them. And if they're a jerk, they're a jerk. But most of the time, like, they'll surprise you. You know, you when you do sometimes see them in the interview, you know, they're kind of, you know, like Dennis Erb. He, he's just cl he just clams up, and it's very short, quick answers. But you get them. You know, down in the pits. Um, another fun experience is, and we've had this a few times, is when you go up and talk to somebody and they're more excited that you're talking to them, you know, versus, you know, whatever the case may be. Like, like they're like, holy cow, this guy wants to come talk to me. That happened with Jeff Smith first time I uh, went to get a, uh, an autograph on a t shirt and it just like blew him away that somebody's asking for his autograph. Uh, last year at Florida uh, with the Big Block Modifieds, we watched it was the first night. It was Larry White. And I didn't really have a, a favorite driver. Now, I like Stuart Friesen a little bit, but and he, I mean, was the only one on the top. And this dude came from mid-pack and won the race. I was like, I got to go meet this guy. Holy cow. And went down to his pits, and he's in a little single, uh, not the big double stacker haulers. He's in a little small hauler and stuff. And, like, he stopped what he was doing, came out and talked to me. I was the only person down there in that side of the pits. Like, he's down in the bottom. And just it meant a lot to him that he's talking to me, and of course it means a lot to me that he stops to take, and and that you know that sticks with you. So now I buy a shirt, support him, go Larry White. Here's another one. Here's another wrinkle to add to fanhood: the guys that you're fans of that you've never had access to, have never gotten to go up to them in person, but you've seen them enough on TV. Maybe you saw them in person, uh, racing per se, and became a fan of, and. One that didn't have connections, like like I would say Rusty Wallace, but I had family connection and I I felt like I kind of had an obligation. But I became a fan. First guy that comes to mind for me, John Force, NHRA drag racing. Because <laughs> oh, I tell you what, he, you might have to have the bleep button ready. Mama's not gonna like some <laughs> of the words he says, but I tell you what, you you can't help but just listen to him or watch him and just see how passionate he is about his craft and. Even though it's you know straight line, it's not circle track, but just to you can feel the passion just through the TV and through the interviews, and that's someone like I can think of. I was like, man, I've never been to an NHRA show. All I've seen him is on TV and on podcasts, and I'm just like, I love that guy. Yeah. Like if I saw him in person, I'd want to give him a hug. And be like, man, you are you are awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like can, you've always known him. Yeah. yeah, I was about to say, can you thank anybody like that? Oh Lord, man, my. I, have you ever met anybody that didn't love Richard Petty? No, it's hard to. Everybody yeah. loves Richard Petty. 
Well, when I was teaching in Greensboro at the Weaver Academy, I got a phone call from, I think it was Atlanta, Georgia, from STP Corporation. And this lady is having a fit. Sir, we're going to need your help. Uh, Richard is coming to do a TV thing promoting our new product, STP product, and, and all this. And I said, ma'am, take it easy. I got you covered. And she said, what do you mean? I said, one of my former students works for Richard Petty. I'll take care of it. She said, I don't think you understand what's going on. I said, well, ma'am, school's out that day. I'll be here on the teacher work day. And I said, I will call my student. He will bring the king to my back door of my shop, and I will keep him in there. Y'all come to the automotive shop when you need him. And they put his car right out my shop door up on the hill on Spring Street in Greensboro. So I got Richard Petty myself 45 minutes to an hour. And he is in my shop looking at all my equipment. And he said, all this fancy stuff, I don't care. And I said, I got something you might be interested in, Richard. And I had a clear one-cylinder, little like a lawnmower engine. I had a clear cylinder, and you could watch the fire. It ran on denatured alcohol. And I got him out there. We were running that thing, and he was playing with that thing and adjusting the timing, adjusting the carburetor and all. And he said, where did this come from? I want one for my engine man. He said he ain't never had an engine. He could see inside what was going on and measure all these temperatures. And, stuff. and the thing had gauges all across it and stuff. And he flipped out and is in there. And while we were there, and I mean, me and him, and I got, duh, what am I going to ask? I got Richard Petty here in my yes, company. And uh, I told him, I told him, I said, Richard, I said, I'm a Chevrolet man. And he said, he said, Mr. Payne, they, I could never get no help from Chevrolet. He said, I understand what you're saying, but I couldn't get any help. And now he's, now he's running Chevrolet. Yeah. But at that time, and I said, I said, but I love you to death. And I said, Richard, one thing I always loved about you, I never saw any beer commercials, uh, uh, uh sponsors on your car stuff. And, and, uh, and I said, I'm glad your mama raised you. He said, my mama didn't have to tell me not to do that. Yeah. And, and man, you know, I, I even got tears because I believe he is a good Christian man. But to have him to myself and showing him all that stuff down there, he just, he said, I cannot believe they're doing this in high school. And they sent me a bunch of STP stuff to the school for the kids and all kinds of stuff. And that that was a very rare, special, that don't happen to everybody. Yeah, but who, who can you think of? As far as someone, just said, someone that you didn't have access to, but you still became a fan somehow. And I know I took John Ford. No, no, no. That, that, that's a good one. That's actually when the first name that came to my mind for me it was Daniel Ricardo. Um, obviously, I'll never get to access this dude, especially being Formula One. But um, the first time I remember really hearing the, an interview, like a more a full length interview, is the, uh, the 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 when after Dylan Hart passed the DVD stuff that came out, the, not the Dale movie, but the three, and um, he was on there, and I didn't know much about Formula One then, and I watched that interview, and he became, he chose the number three because of Earnhardt, and I was like, all right, well, he's already got me hooked right there, but, uh, and watching it ever since, he's just, in that world where it is definitely prim and proper, he's just a goofball, he always has a smile on his face, even getting out of the car after he wrecked, he always has a smile on his face, he picks and jokes with guys in the interviews and stuff. He just looks like he'd be a fun guy to hang out with, and he just has his great personality. And he doesn't take it too serious, but 
It just looked like he always has a good time, and I'm all for that. And he'll pick on Lewis Hamilton. He'll pick on, you know, Botas, whoever. And he'll pick on, like, right there in front of their face in, yeah. in, in interviews and stuff. I'm like, oh, that's my kind of guy right there. And, of course, he's a heck of a driver, too. I tell you, here's another, here's another dynamic to throw into it. Someone who was running against somebody you pulled for, you couldn't buy their T-shirt because you can't wear two shirts at once. But someone you still kind of – secretly liked a little bit and like i had one the one that comes to mind for me just from like a speedway was todd massey todd massey where i liked robert turner because he was a little more quiet he seemed like an underdog and you know he was just a little different he could not be more opposite from what hall river north carolina's todd massey was (laughs) todd was loud todd was a great entertaining interview and todd was going to get to the front no matter what and Something exciting was going to happen if he was up there near the front. So he was so completely opposite of the guy that my fanhood was tied to, but I still am like, you know what? You got to be a fan in some aspect of just like the greatness. And he was you know, a four-time track champion. You know, had the, you know, He was running Myrtle Beach. He had a chance to get up the truck. It didn't work out. But kind of someone along in that, in that breath. Um, is kind of what I'm thinking. Just someone like you, you couldn't like you a Scott Blumquist fan yeah. on dirt. Yeah. It's hard. You, you can't go out and buy a Josh Richards t-shirt, <laughs> but right. you could at least, you know, respect the greatness that they have. Yeah. Um, I'm actually, <clears throat> excuse me. The first um, name that come to my mind was uh, Jed Coughlin and he would come run the big dog stuff at Piedmont. And I always liked Travis Harvey, Carolina kid, because he had that Carolina blue. He always had the Chevrolet. Mm-hmm. And a good friend of mine, Sean uh, Wade, uh, was friends with him. So, like, we would go down to his shop. Me and Sean would go down to his car shop, you know, while they're working on stuff. And so I always liked him. So I liked – and Jig would show up. And obviously everybody knows Jigs, And, you know, he's got the big sponsor and stuff. So I, that kind of deterred me from pulling for him. But he was such a nice dude. Like, he was very, very accessible, you know, like we were talking about earlier. And then, you know, when he goes up to pro stock – uh, and the NHRA stuff, you know, we like Warren Johnson, you know, his GM guy, uh, and they always ran against each other. But again, it's like, man, I can't really pull, you know, buy his stuff. And, and he wasn't, you know, didn't support Chevrolet and stuff then. And then, you know, fast forward now, you know, I like, you know, Jason Lyon and those guys. And, uh, you know, I know Jake's back in his Chevrolet, but it's just like I couldn't ever really pull for him, pull for him. But if he won, you know, I'm happy that you won, man, because he, he's just a good guy. You've never seen much controversy with him. He doesn't have, you know, he's never really called anybody else out. You know, he kind of sticks to himself. Um, and he just seems like a likable guy. Mm-hmm. Pops, who can you think of? Somebody that you were pulling for somebody else and you couldn't actively pull for him, but secretly down inside you was like, you know what, I still do like you. Well, you guys had a thing going on, messages the other day, and I said, boys, boys, I said, Give them all some credit because they are putting on the greatest show on earth and on dirt. Uh, and and I, all of us are hooked on the dirt stuff. It's just so much more exciting and stuff. And uh, no, um, I don't know of anybody uh, on the dirt. Well, y'all say anybody but and, and call out a name or a number. But, <laughs> but if the guy wheeled that car, and got up there and did his job. Uh, congratulations, Bud. You know, congratulations yeah. to you. Because you really like all of them. You do have the ones, of course. I'm, I'm 39, 49, 157 right now. But I've talked to Scott, and I asked Scott why he ran fourth. 
And he said, I got a Chevrolet too. I said, have you? He said, it depends on the track because those engines have different torque ranges and it depends on which track you run and which engine you need to run. And, and you know, I, I've had y'all in the pits and pointing out to you how to look and tell if it's a Chevrolet or a Ford engine in them and where the distributor is and the way the headers look and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I am known for being the diehard Chevrolet man, so I like the ones that got a Chevy engine in them. That's all right. But uh, just all of them, and, and we've seen underdogs. Uh, the race we went to with uh, the million. The first, yeah. the first million, and all the Agnews, yeah. and me and you, and we all four came out of there. Uh, we all were pulling for Bobby, cause Bobby, <laughs> Bobby, uh, Bobby Pierce, Bobby Pierce, cause he was eating that wall up, and he put on such a show. And then we, we didn't care. So we just said it's one of the best races we've ever seen, and we didn't care. Earl Pearson took the money home. Yeah, and and Earl, Earl's another cool guy. But uh, no, I can't. I can't badmouth any of them. Um, and you don't want me going that now. Way back in the day, there was a guy that showed up, and his car was always pink. And David Bledsoe, to his name, his name was Melvin Huff. He was car number fifty-one, and David Bledsoe was racing with him in the limited sportsman stuff. And he said one time he'd come up behind him and said you could literally see his car shaking, just 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 shaking all over and every time he passed it. And after the race, he, he said, Mel, what in the world's wrong with your car to make it shake like that? He said, well, I built my engine this week and said one of my pistons would burn, so I just left it out. <laughs> <laughs> and how in the world the crank, of course, he wasn't turning 4,000 RPM. How in the world that forward engine stayed together, but he, he went out there and raced with seven pistons in a V8 engine. <laughs> I think good one to wrap this up on. Sometimes in racing, certain moments happen where like a certain person wins or something and you can't help but in the moment be a fan even if you're not a previous affiliated fan. Like I think of like uh, 2001 when Dale Jr. wins at Daytona, first race back at Daytona after Dale and our senior died and I think everybody with a pulse was a Dale Jr. fan. Right. So just sometimes those moments happen. And I one that kind of comes to my mind that – was I think it was the 2016 Knoxville Nationals with Jason Johnson. I kind of like Jason just because he, he he talked different. They're all you know Midwestern guys. Jason Johnson had that Louisiana redneck accent. But him going out there, getting passed by Donnie Shots, then getting back around him, they make contact, and how much, just how exciting the race was, number one. Then number two, great interview, even if it had an expletive <laughs> in it, and just – in that moment, you know, becoming a fan of someone like kind of instantly and it necessarily didn't have to carry over, but just in that moment, that's one that I always think of. But what's, what's one you can kind of think of? Uh, first one that comes to mind was, uh, Volusia for the, um, the late model guys. I, I want to say probably five, six years ago. And 
I already knew, you know, Casey Roberts, and he's he's one of those nice guys that you know nobody's got a bad thing other than Josh Richards' dad. To say about him. <laughs> um, but he's he's just hard to really pull for because he might run five times a year, he might run thirty five times a year. So you know it's hard to pull for him because you don't know if he's ever going to show up or not. But I remember he went down to Volusia, and this was uh, he's still running the Cushman car down there, and um, he qualifies good, heat races good, and he starts up front, and Bloomquist is at the top of his game then. Obviously, I'm a Bloomquist fan, and Casey passed him. Bloomquist got back around him middle of the race on the uh, middle of the top groove, and Casey's the bottom feeder, kind of like how Bloomquist is now. And Casey did not waver. He stayed on the bottom, and the track came back to him. He fell back to third. The track came back to him. He caught, no caution help, nothing. He caught Scott passed him with like two, three, four to go, something like that, and won the race. And, you know, the crowd's kind of stunned, A, because you just saw at that time arguably the best, you know, in the country get beat by somebody that they did not know. And he got out of the car, and he is crying. He is th- – I mean, that was his Daytona 500, man. Yeah. And it was a 7,000 to win 40-lap race. And, I mean, he's crying. He's thanking, you know, God. He's thanking his family. And, like, he was just literally speechless. And, like – I think uh, Eshelman was was the announcer for them back then, and he's like, "Man, I don't care who you are. Everybody is a Casey Roberts fan right now." Because he even said in his interview, "He's like, don't nobody know who I am." He's like, "I'm just coming down here for fun." So I never would have dreamt I would have won this race, and like everybody was cheering for that guy. So of course the Blue Crusaders were probably the only ones that were cheering for him, but nobody knew him, you know. And I was like, "Man, you know what? I'm a Scott fan, but you do it, Casey. I'm proud of you." Pops, who can you think of? You'll have to help me with names. You know, y'all know I'm getting senile. <laughs> when we went to Lancaster. Okay. Al- Lan- uh, Lancaster. Scott Altry. Scott Altry got there late, yep. started last. Dead last, yep. They had the most attrition, you and I. I think it was four cars that wound up. Fin- Donald Bratcher was third. There was five cars, four of them were on the lead lap. Oh, wow. And Donald Bratcher finished third in it. But he came back after getting there late, doing all this, and still came to the front and won that race, and it was a big money race that yeah, day. Yeah, it was twenty or thirty thousand to win, and that race they only did it two years. And if you remember in that race, because that's a huge track, was as that you the know. Carolina Crown? Yeah, and, yeah. That, and the, this was the first year they did, it, and it was a hundred lap race at Lancaster, which is ridiculous <laughs> for a dirt late model. And like they had said, everybody's blowing tires, you know, blowing tires, overheating, blowing engines and stuff. And Scott uh, Altry made it to the top five and pitted where there's still cars out there. And Clint Boyer was there with his cars and Clint went down there and helped him change his tire while his cars were still on the track. And he went back out there and won the thing. Biggest wow. race win he's ever had. Well, and who, who went out? Who went out? And uh, Galt, Mike Galt. Mike Galt hit the cushion and left the track. He looked like an airplane taking off. And and everybody got quiet. We knew he was dead. And the first thing the announcer came back home and said, somebody catch him at the gate and charge him to get back in. <laughs> and and just a few laps later, we looked, and he was down changing somebody's tire. Yeah. And and I said, the camaraderie that's there, when it looks like they're gonna, they want to fight, they're going to kill each other. And then they're out there helping each other beat their teammates. That's right. Yeah. And, it's, and, that's, and it's like you said sometime. One time down there in, uh, when I got to go to the Cherokee, you said some of the best people in the world are race fans. Yeah. And, and it was, and then our experience with with, with River Dog. Yeah. Man. <laughs> I, I'm surprised neither of you Earnhardt fans took the low-hanging fruit of 98 Daytona 500 when he finally won and 
for a guy that was loved by many and hated by probably as many, everybody became an Earnhardt fan in 98. I'm surprised neither of y'all took that the uh, hanging fruit. Well, that's, 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 that's said for itself. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's just, that's just common knowledge. right there. I think to get an entire crowd behind you, you gotta be an underdog. You can't be, you know, an Earnhardt or Gordon back then. Like when Earnhardt, when he did the miraculous, the miraculous race at Talladega, when he came from what 18th to the lead in five laps, you know, there was, you know, rival fans cheering for him and stuff. But I think, collectively no matter what this motorsport if it's the underdog winning the big race you know like just this year at the indoor race at gateway tyler carpenter wins i mean how do you not like yeah. you know this this guy's scrapping he's running with a can he wins thirty thousand. you know in front of a capacity crowd everybody's gonna be happy about that right. uh when brian brown won at the world finals that was his first world outlaw win and he passed steve kinzer to win the race everybody's cheering for that because you didn't have really people that hated kinzer but you know, when the underdog and it's a good guy or even somebody you ain't never heard of wins, you know, everybody's going to be happy about that. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I think that's a – I think that ought to be good enough. We'll put a bow on it right there. I appreciate you All doing right. this. Yeah, man. Unless, you, unless you got something I, else in I your got, I got to throw one in. Go ahead, throw it in. <laughs> Since my son, buddy, and myself got to do a little bit of that driving other people's cars, he will be my favorite because I saw him do stuff in a car – at Madison in the mud that nobody else could do. And I cannot say on this podcast what the owner of the car said about him <laughs> as a car pushed him all the way down the front stretch sideways and Buddy never quit. He stayed in the gas and finally shook the guy and ran off and left him and caught him again. And 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 that the experiences that God allowed me and him to have as father-son doing that kind of stuff uh, that that always be my ultimate racing experience, I think. That's a good one to end on. There you go. Thank you for listening to yet another edition of the Half Price Concessions Podcast. Do us a favor. Whichever podcast app you're listening to this on, if there's a section to leave a rating and review, please do so. It would really help us out a ton. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at HPC Podcast. Be sure to like our Facebook page by searching for the Half Price Concessions Podcast. If you got family or friends that want to listen but don't have a podcast app, you can go to our website to listen to any and all of our episodes at www.anchor.fm slash HPC Podcast. Also, if you want to email the show, you can do so by emailing Podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear any and all feedback that you have. Thank you for listening. My name is Tyler Williams, and I hope that you have a great day.